Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Purpose Podcast. My name is Haas Rauscher. The goal of this podcast is to help men find and fulfill their purpose. I'm going to try to help them be good, strong leaders, good, strong men, good male role models in their communities. I'm going to do that by having conversations. I'm going to invite guests on. I'm going to ask our guests, what is your purpose? What do you think your purpose ought to be? How did you find that purpose? And what do you do every single day? How do you get up, get after it, and go and fulfill that purpose? So today we don't have a guest uh, with the holidays. Things are getting kind of tricky uh, trying to schedule some guests and do it do it weekly. But I do promise that we've got some good ones coming. I've got some guys that I think y'all are really going to like having on. Um, I know I've had a lot of my friends on and, you know, Nick gave us a really, really good episode on visualization and Sam always lays down some good stuff. Um, but I know y'all want to see some new people and uh, have, uh, you know, a podcast with a little bit more serious of a tone than sometimes what I, what I kind of put out. So I know that... Uh, just hang with me. We've got some good guests scheduled for December. Uh, I've got some people that aren't really local that I think are going to have on and that they have other podcasts and other interests. And so good things are coming. But what I do want to ask for y'all, I do want to ask from y'all, give me three people that you think would be good on the, on the podcast. So I'm going to put up another, like, uh, to where a story where you can just message me and say, Hey, these are the three people that I think would be good on the podcast. And if it's your dad, put your dad, um, preferably, uh, somebody with kind of a, a decent following where I can, I can kind of look and see the stuff that they're putting out. So if you have like a, a minor celebrity with a couple thousand followers that you follow and you like the stuff that they're saying, um, shoot me a DM and let me know who they are and I'll try to get them on the podcast and uh, they don't have to be from here. I'm going to start setting up remote podcasts so they can be wherever they want to be. But yeah, if if you don't mind, just try to try to help me find some guests, and I want I want y'all to be invested in what I'm putting out. And so, if it's guests that y'all already want to hear talk, or maybe they maybe they talk about something else like hunting or fishing or uh, whatever, and you want to hear them on here, just give me uh, give me their info, and I'll try to reach out to them. No guarantees; they may not want to come on, but it would at least help me kind of widen my pool of people that I know and, and that I'm trying to get on. So uh, I appreciate that if you'll do that. Next is going to be the book club. So the book club is going to start in December. Our first episode, let me pull up a calendar real quick. Our first episode is going to be on the 4th. Okay. So the way we're going to do this is I believe this book only has 200 and something, 280 pages or something like that. Um, I looked at it earlier and you should be able to read 10 pages a day in December and finish the whole book in December. So uh, we're going to start and the way we're going to do that is the episodes are going to come out every single Sunday. Um, uh, yeah, I think I think I'm going to do the book club on Sunday and then our regular episodes will move to Wednesday um, because I've already told everybody that's what's going to happen. So uh, yeah, we'll do the book episodes on Sundays and then the... Uh, no, that wouldn't be a hard switch. Okay. Book episodes are going to be on Wednesday. Sorry, I'm working this out <laughs> in the middle of the recording. Um, book episodes are going to be on Wednesdays. The regular episodes are going to be on Sundays. So for example, when the first episode comes out on Wednesday, the seventh, you should have 70 pages read, um, by the time that you listen to that episode. So, uh, yeah. So start reading on the first, read 10 pages a day. And then when the episode comes out on Wednesday, it's going to cover the first 70 pages of the book and we're going to talk about it, what happened in those 70 pages and just get into it. And then 
Um, I, I think that'll work out perfect. Uh, the rest of the, the pages will be covered uh, either on the 28th or the 4th of January. So it's just going to go every Wednesday to, at a pace of 10 pages a day. So like, for example, on the 14th, you should have 140 pages written or read. And I'm going to go over them, annotate them. Sam's going to come in. He's read the book as well. And so Sam's going to come in and we're going to com- uh, comment on it. So yeah, just do that. And I really appreciate it. Let me know what you think about that. Uh, if you need help finding the book or getting the book, it's going to be The Comfort Crisis by Michael Easter. It's an excellent book. Go ahead and get it and uh, follow along. I'd appreciate it. Next thing is going to be uh, subscribe and share. I don't have anything to subscribe to. I meant follow. Uh, go follow me on Instagram. And uh, if you don't mind, just just share the podcast. If you get any value from it, I'm not asking you to share it as a favor. Um, you know, Andy Frazella talks about paying the fee. He doesn't charge for his podcast. So go pay the fee. Uh, you know, I'm not acting like mine's worth anything. But if you find it uh, to be worth something to you, go ahead and just give it a share. That's really going to help me out. Y'all have friends that I don't have. Uh, y'all have followers that I don't have. And so it really helped me try to, to spread the mission. If you agree with what I'm doing here and you think that more people need to hear this, go ahead and give it a share. And it would really, really help me out. We don't run ads yet. We don't do anything like that. Uh, so if you don't mind, just go ahead and, and throw it up on your story and say, Hey, uh, I got something from this. I don't know if you will or not, but just, just put it in front of people's faces. And that would really help me out a lot. Uh, yeah, I think that's the, uh, the last kind of housekeeping thing I've got, uh, keep, keep putting in on the Q and A's. So, uh, I'm going to keep just randomly putting up Q and A's, uh, keep, keep throwing questions in there. I don't care if they're silly. I don't care. Uh, make them, give me some heavy ones of of what maybe you're going through. These are all anonymous by the way. Um, now some of you, (laughs) some of you say, Hey, I just submitted my question. And then I go look at my questions and I know which one just got submitted. So I know it's you (laughs) since I've got so few people. Um, uh, submitting questions right now, but uh, these are completely anonymous without your without your name on it. So if you don't want me knowing who submitted the question, just submit it quietly and, and don't say anything to me. And, and I appreciate y'all letting me know that you did because I some of <laughs> some of y'all I say hey go submit a question and then you let me know that you did. But yeah, if you've got something that is is deeper that um, you want me to kick around with a guest, and if if it's a specific guest, we're gonna have recurring guests. So if you have a a question for Sam specifically or Bret Hart or Jonah or Nick, um, or maybe even Chase Christie, the, the physical therapist, doctor, physical therapist, Dr. Christie. Um, if you have any questions for them, uh, put specifically on their question for Nick and send your question. And it doesn't always have to be a question for me right now. I'm just answering them because it's, it's good content. And when I have to do these shows alone, uh, it, it gives me, um, a way to connect with y'all a little bit deeper on a, on a personal level. It makes me just sitting down and, and talking to you a little bit more worth it because I'm actually trying to engage with y'all's questions, but these are absolutely meant to be thrown towards, uh, the guests as well. So go and do that. And and uh, I appreciate it, guys. So today we are going to start with a little bit of Q&A. Uh, I've got two questions here that are a little bit deeper. I don't really have any silly questions. Uh, I didn't put up another Q&A for this episode because I already had two deeper ones. So I don't have any just silly rapid fire questions. Sorry, you don't get your rapid fire today. But the first question is going to be, how do you know when to chase the money versus settle with a career? That's a really good question. Um, I don't know that I exactly have an answer for you right now. Um, anybody that knows me knows that I've battled with this, that uh, yeah, I find it hard to sit for very long, especially when there's more dollars on the table somewhere else. Um, I've, I've done a little bit better over the past few years, but uh, yeah, I man, I, 
I think, and, and thinking about this question, I've thought about this question since you asked it, which has been two or three weeks ago. I, I occasionally just bring it up in my mind and kind of think about it. And one thing I do want to key in on is that word settle. Um, I know you probably didn't mean it like that, but uh, I'm going to I'm gonna take it as if it's literal. Uh, we're never going to settle. Uh, we're never going to sit down in a career. Uh, yeah, just first off, we're never going to just settle in a career and not try to do better things with our time. Uh, that is one thing we really do want to avoid. Like I said, I don't, I don't think you meant it like that, but, uh, just to, just to cover all my bases, we're never just going to settle into a job. If, if you're an accountant and you're, uh, a senior, you know, not even a senior accountant, if you're an associate accountant or an entry level accountant and you kind of like your job and you have enough money to go do things outside of, uh, outside of work that you like to do and you're paying off, you know, you're paying on your house and your job's really, job's really secure. You're not afraid you're going to lose it anytime soon. And, you know, you say, oh, well, I may work this for 10 and 20 years and just not move up or move around. That That's not what we're going to do. Uh, I'm never going to prescribe that. If you're not trying to get better and trying to move forward, then that's, that's a bad sign that you need to just find something else that you do want to get better at and do uh, want to move forward with. And we talk a lot about getting comfortable here, how it's not good to get comfortable because uh, comfort is where progress goes to die. And we always want to be progressing. We always want to um, advance into a, a better form of ourselves than what we were yesterday. So uh, we're never going to settle into a career. Now, what I think you were asking uh, without that word is how do we know when to stop chasing the money and get good at our craft and do our job for, you know, an extended period of time. Uh, if you're a mechanical engineer, um, how do we know when to stop chasing the money at other businesses and, uh, and, and keep, keep moving up and keep, you know, making lateral moves. And, and I really don't know. I think what it, what it's really going to come down on, come down to is what are your goals? Um, for me, I have a pretty lofty goal of making, uh, when I set this goal in high school is I wanted to make $100,000 a year, uh, what is that, gross income by the time I was 25. That was the goal I had. And that's a goal that I still have. And so that may lean a little bit more to the chase the money side. I don't, I don't always care what I'm doing. I just wanted to hit that goal because I don't know. I, <laughs> I made the goal. I don't have a, a huge good reason behind it. I mean, obviously, if I can make $100,000 a year by the time I'm 25, that's pretty impressive. And um, it's going to set me up pretty well for the future. If that's not your goal, if you're, you have other goals outside of work, you know, Nick talks a lot about this and he kind of changed my perspective as far as, uh, what my career kind of looked like. Uh, Nick said to me a long time ago, he said, yeah, I just, and it was so nonchalant. He, he's so like nonchalant, a matter of fact about it, that like, it, it just made so much sense. He, he said, yeah, man, I just don't understand, uh, putting that much time into something that you don't want to be doing. And that kind of hit me like a freight train of like, man, do what do I really want to do? Do I want to be a business owner? Do I want to be a podcaster? Do I want to be a content creator? Do I want to, um, you know, have a farm one day? Like, what do I want to do? And if project management is low on that list, then why, why am I so wrapped up and spending 40 hours a week, uh, you know, trying to advance my project management career? Even, even more than 40 hours a week, why am I spending 60, 70 hours a week um, when it's not what I really want to do? You know, if I get to those upper levels of project management and, you know, executive level of 
business management, is that, am I really going to be happy there? Or am I still just going to be trying to build something outside of that and, uh, build something that I could have spent all that extra time on, uh, you know, building earlier in my career. So I do think it boils down to what you want and, and what you need too. you know, on the other hand of that is like, yeah, I, you know, maybe I don't want to be a project manager, but project manager pays the bills right now. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to work my 40 as a project manager. Um, I'm still going to do a very good job. I'm still going to, you know, everything that touches my desk is still going to get done in a, in a good amount of time. It's going to be done correctly. I'm still going to have a good quality with my work because that's who I am as a person. You know, how you do one thing is how you do everything. But when it comes time to, oh, hey, we have this extra project over here that is going to require you to work 65 hours a week. And But I'm I, that's not what I want to do. Project management isn't what I'm, I want to do. I'm going to pass that up and I'm going to say, no, thanks guys. I'm, I'm here to pay the bills and I'm going to devote everything other, you know, to my other goals that I really want to be doing in life. And so that's kind of where I think most people fit, you know, uh, Nick took a huge leap. He he had started making some money and, and he's got a good video about this. I want to say, I wasn't prepared because I didn't think it was going to come up, but I want to say it was how I wasted my 20s, uh, what I'm doing in my 30s, something like that on Nick's YouTube channel where he talks about this, this leap that he made fully into what he wanted to do. And he's able to make money off of that. And if you can do that, perfect. I think a lot of us are in a position where we're like, man, I... I don't have a bunch of money stacked up in the bank and uh, I need to pay my bills, but I want to work on this uh, somewhere else. Uh, or, you know, I want to work on something else when I'm outside of work. And that's what I really want to be doing for a living. And so I think a lot of us are in that position. And that's where I would say that when you say settle into settle with a career, um, again, I don't like that word, but we're going to put it in neutral in our career, make money, build things outside of, of our career and try to find a path out of that if that's not what we want to be doing. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's kind of, uh, I think that somewhat answers your question. You know, how do you know when to chase the money? Uh, when the money is good enough that you can't really turn it down. You know, the way I kind of it's a cost benefit analysis and that's really that's really what you have to do you know i've been offered jobs to where i had a, i had a guy call me that said hey we've got 65 dollars an hour here but you're gonna have to move to washington for a year and uh you're gonna be here almost full time in washington and uh it's only a year-long contract but it's 65 dollars an hour i don't even know what that is that's like 130 dollars or hundred thirty thousand dollars a year um let's see, 65 times 2080. Yeah, just just for 40 hour weeks, it's $135,000 a year. And they said that we're going to be working like 60, 80 hours a week. So there's a very good possibility I could have cleared 200 off of that. Um, and my residency would like stay in Texas. So I, I don't even think I would pay income tax on that. I don't know how that works if you make the money over there, if you have to pay their income tax. But I think because I lived here, I wouldn't even have to pay state income tax on that. So, I mean, that's that's pretty impressive. That's a lot of money. And for a year's worth of just sitting down and grinding, that would help me out a lot. But I had to do the cost benefit analysis of like, oh, hey, yeah, I've got a wife here. <laughs> you know, I've got a wife here. I've got a house here. Um, and they're not just going to let me come home every weekend. So, uh, you really got to start weighing those decisions and that's the only, it's very situational. You know, there's other jobs to where, um, they could call you and it's just a no brainer of, Hey, we're going to give you 10 more dollars an hour and your schedule is only going to be slightly more difficult and you're still going to be in town. Um, 
I don't, I don't, I personally don't know how you turn that down unless you've really got something waiting for you at your current job. You know, um, if, if you're working towards a position that's going to double or triple the amount of money that they just offered you, then yeah, maybe, um, maybe don't even look at the money factor. But, uh, if it seems like a decent deal and you stand to really benefit from that in your personal life and and the things that you want to do, I don't know why you don't go, go get that money. And, and maybe I'm wrong with that. You know, I, I know people at, uh, my current job that they're, they're super invested into the other people that work there. They really like the people they work with and they say things like, well, yeah, I don't want to hate coming into work every single day. And I, I completely understand that. And if you're in a monetary position where the, the extra $10 an hour doesn't matter. And what really matters to you is, is the quality of the people that you work with and your, your work relationships. Um, if you really don't want to hate the people that you work with, then yeah, absolutely stay where you're at and don't chase the money. Uh, but for me being the provider of the house, it's always been hard to turn down that extra, (laughs) that extra bump of cash, because I feel like I owe it to my wife and my future family to bring in that extra money. You know, if, if I go from, uh, you know, $80,000 a year to a hundred thousand dollars a year, that's 20,000 extra dollars that goes into the, the what is it? Uh, posterity. I don't know. It goes into the, um, it goes to my family. It goes, it better helps me provide for my family. And so, and I know you're saying I don't have kids yet, but I am going to have kids and $20,000 now is, especially if I use it correctly, $20,000 now is going to help a ton down two years from now when we might have a family or five years from now when we do have a family. And so, man, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I'm answering your question. I, I hope to just at least give you things to think about. These are things that go through my head constantly. And uh, this is one of those that maybe if I was 50 or 60 years old, I could give you a better answer. Um, but I'm only 23 right now and I, I'm still trying to figure this out. And I've done a lot of chasing the money. And here lately, I've done a lot of, of settling with the career. And so, yeah, man, I I don't really know. Um that's just kind of the process I go through when looking at it is, is examine every single offer, every single opportunity, uh, you know, and one thing I do want to put out is take them all with a grain of salt and be very, very picky. If you've got a good career or a good job that you're at right now, make them come to you. Uh, that is something that I've learned is that the $10 an hour extra isn't worth making a whole lot of concessions on your end. So for example, if, if you're making decent money and they call and they offer you 45 bucks an hour, and you're only making 30 bucks an hour, well, make them come to you uh, if you really like where you're at, because that's going to show how willing they are to invest into you. So for example, if they've only got two weeks of PTO, you say, I want three weeks of PTO. Uh, That's that's what we're doing is three weeks PTO. And if uh, they for example, don't have a vehicle policy or whatever, or their schedule is a little whack or whatever it is that you're not 100% on board with, you make them come to you and be confident enough to tell them no. These opportunities will come around and don't give up something that you really enjoy just because you like the dollar figure, make them come to you. I I think I should have added that earlier is that um, don't let the dollar figure be your only deciding factor. Um, If they're willing to work with you and if you like uh, 
who you're working with, always make sure that you go see the facility first. Um, go see where you're going to be working. I got I got into that one time as I had a job interview, and uh, they took me into this really nice conference room, and I was like, oh, this place is pretty pretty neat, you know, and I, and I liked it, and the money was better. They were going to teach me new skills that I hadn't learned yet that would eventually really pay off for me in the, in the future. It wasn't a bad opportunity that I took, but the <laughs> I said yes, and they put me in a like 10 by 15. Uh, it wasn't even a cube field because we didn't even have cubes it was just like a bunch of desks in this room and we were all close together and there was one lady in there that liked to turn the heat up to like 80 degrees it was absolutely terrible I only lasted three months at that place just because I couldn't take it anymore I mean I, I could not take it anymore and uh, I learned a good skill I, I stayed long enough to at least learn that skill and I ended up actually going and doing uh, the same thing I was doing for them I did it for somebody else by myself uh, I had learned that much about the software that I was using and so um one thing that I always do now is I say, hey, where am I going to be working? Like if it's not a reputable company, like when I went to CNS, I didn't really care because I knew it was going to be a cube field. I knew what that was going to be like. I didn't like make them show me my cube. But if you're going to go to like a smaller company or something like that, uh, make sure you say, hey, yeah, I want to come and interview. I want to see my workspace. Where am I going to be working? Uh, what am I going to be working with? You know, make sure that the, the opportunity is good enough before you leave. And again, make sure that they're coming to you. Uh, if the dollar figure they offer you is low, then say, no, thanks. You know what I mean? Like if it's, if it's just lower than what you had in mind and it's still higher than the one you've got, say, no, I'm good. Um, make them come to you. Uh, that's the other thing is always negotiate. You know, you say when to chase the money versus uh, settle with a career. Always be negotiating, even with your even with your current employer. Um, and you have to do this with tact, and you have to. Um, there's there's ways to do that, and I may eventually uh, put an episode on how to negotiate with your current employer for higher pay. But this goes to the, back to that never settle thing. Don't ever go a year without trying to get some more form of compensation. Uh, and again, there's, there's ways to do this. I'm not saying beat down your boss's door and say, Hey, pay me more. Uh, there's, there's better ways to do that. And I'm going to talk about it in the future, but don't ever, don't just sit around and wait for them to pay you more money. Always be negotiating, especially if it's a job offer. If they, I don't care if you think that they're, if they give you a rigid salary number and they say, this position is only worth $65,000 a year and we're not negotiating. You say, oh yeah, okay, cool. Will you pay me $70,000 a year? And they say no. And you say, okay. Um, it always negotiate, you know, and I'm not going to turn this into a, a battle of the genders, but, uh, it's actually a, a pretty, uh, insane study. I don't have the study in front of me, but one of the reasons that women make less than men for doing the same job is because they hardly ever negotiate. They're more agreeable. And that comes from Jordan Peterson. And it's, it's in a study. Don't quote me as fact on that, but it, it makes a lot of sense because a lot of women I know they're like, Oh, well, they're paying me this. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Did you, did you ask for more? And they're like, no, and don't don't do that. Um, if they offer you seventy thousand uh, dollars, say I want eighty thousand dollars, and nine times out of ten, nine times out of ten, they will move on that. Unless you're going to a really big company where you have. Um, where it's just structured and you're an entry level level position and you have no bargaining power whatsoever, um, then it might just be that might just be the price that they're going to pay you. But it's still worth asking. And then after you negotiate on the uh, the time or the money side, negotiate with your time off. Always ask for more PTO. If if they won't give you any more money, then you say, okay, give me another week of PTO. 
And then they might say, okay, you know what I mean? Sure. They may not want to make special concessions. They may say, no, we've got a PTO policy and we don't ever want it coming out that you've got more PTO than somebody else. And that's just the way it is. But a lot of these smaller companies will negotiate. Even some of the bigger ones, they'll they'll negotiate with you because they need somebody. That's what you've got to remember is that they need somebody to do this job. So um, use your bargaining power, use your skills to your advantage and, and always try to get more and, and never settle. And again, Again, there's tactful ways to do this. I'll go over this. I'm not saying go in to your boss's office and demand a raise uh, for not adding any value. You have to make sure you add value, but uh, always make sure that you're growing in that position. Um, I think that's uh, I think that's everything I've got. Um, yeah, man, this was a really good question. Just to recap, how do you know when to chase the money versus settle with a career? It's a hard question, and I battle with that every day. It really, it's going to come down to, to your specific situation, and uh, it's I don't think it's ever going to be uh, that much of a dichotomy of, oh, well, I can either settle here or go chase the money. I think it's going to be really complicated, and you're going to have a lot of things to weigh, and uh, just just do that carefully and maybe ask, ask somebody that's done both. Ask somebody that's chased the money and ask somebody that's worked a job for 10 years. Um, yeah, figure out, uh, yeah, ask them because I, I haven't done that. I've, I'm, I'm pretty new in my career, but that's the process that I go about uh, trying to find new positions and, and uh, trying to decide whether to stay somewhere. So anyway, good question. I appreciate it. Next uh, question. Uh, this comes from one of the episodes, I, I it slipped my mind which episode it was. I think it was solo speaking when I talked about uh, the greatest challenge that young men face uh, being uh, the ac- the easy access of pornography. And um, I I made a I mentioned in there that if you're super religious, uh, to try to give your your young men your sons uh, non religious. Um, non-religious reasons for not looking at uh, pornography. And I don't know if I elaborated on that. Apparently, I didn't elaborate enough. I I wasn't clear enough, which I'm not saying that sarcastically. I I probably didn't elaborate enough on that because somebody asked a question. They said, why should kids be given a non-religious reason for behaving morally? Um, that's a good question. And I feel like I'm going to flounder a little bit because I'm not, I'm not super religious and y'all, y'all know this. I, I believe there is a God. Um, I am a Christian. I believe that the that Christianity is the truth. Um, I just don't know a lot about it and I don't practice it regularly. I don't go to church regularly. Um, so I'm not very well versed in what the Bible actually says and what Christians the real true Christians actually believe. Uh, so I may butcher some of this and I, you know, if, if you do know a lot about that stuff and you are really educated, I'd love to have you on the podcast so that we can learn about it together because I I feel like it's, that's one of the things with Christianity is it's really hard to actually know what you're getting. And, uh, and so I, I tend to avoid it and step back and kind of study it on my own a little bit and don't get much from it. So if you'd like to come on the podcast and, and if you disagree with me, uh, or if you can enlighten me a little bit onto what, uh, God actually teaches and what the Bible actually says, I would love to have you on send me a message, but that's just a little caveat, but why should kids be given a non-religious reason for behaving morally? I think the main reason that I say that is because they live in a non-religious world right now. And let me put it this way. They live in a non-Christian world right now. I think almost everything is religion, even, even, uh, you know, the, the leftist cult that we see now that claim even atheism to a certain point is a religion because 
because they they believe it with with faith. They don't have anything to back it up. Um, and you know uh, that sounded kind of bad, but anyway, I think we live in a non-Christian world. Your kids live in a non-Christian world. I don't care how small the town is. They're going to encounter things that don't subscribe to the same religion that they do. And I think it would be ill-advised to not prepare them to address those things as well. Um, you know, I think kids, especially kids, I don't know that they actually believe in the Christianity. I think it takes you in, in Christianity and the Bible and, uh, and, and faith, I think it, it takes suffering to truly believe in those things. And what I, I think we need to do is try to ease that suffering as much as possible without completely shielding them from it. Let them get, let them have some suffering, but, uh, you know, have some suffering as a little treat, but, uh, <laughs> try to try to ease that suffering. And I don't know that, I think to truly believe in Christianity, the people that I see that I'm like, man, that dude is is a legit Christian. He's all about it. He believes in Jesus. Those people have gone through really tough things and they've turned to Christianity as the answer and, and found the truth after they had that suffering. I don't think kids have that level of connection with the, the word of God in order to fully believe it and use it as a way to guide their life yet. Um, that's just a hunch that, and that's just comes from what I've seen is that all the kids that were super, super into religion, when they really started facing suffering, that kind of broke down and they were left with no answers of how to, how to handle themselves. Um, you know, the kids that were super Christian all of their lives and, you know, their parents, I don't think did a very good job of saying, uh, let's, let's take drugs. For example, we always just didn't do drugs because drugs were bad. Um, nobody really gave us the, the real world. I, my parents did because they had, I mean, we had a lot of interaction with it in, in my family. My dad had, uh, some friends that, that died drinking and driving. And eventually I did too, as, as we grew up. But, um, the other kids that, that were super, um, that went to church every single day and their parents were super religious, they were just kind of told that it was because it's bad and God doesn't want us to do it. I mean, I'm sure they were told some other things, but it seemed like that's why they believed that drugs were bad. And so when they really got into peer pressure, they had no sense of what the actual consequences of that were. Yeah, they, they had never been told that one of their dad's best friends died in a ditch because he drank and drive and that your dad didn't want you to die in a ditch. They were just told that, you know, we're not gluttons. We don't, we don't do that. And we don't drink because that's what we don't do. Um, so I think that it's important to give kids those those hard consequences until they finally see that, oh, this is why God doesn't want us to do this. Like the the I think the Bible is a good uh it, it once you have experienced suffering and experienced real consequences, I think it provides a lot of answers for why you experience those consequences. Does that make sense? Once once you if you've drank and become an alcoholic um, and you've experienced the consequences of, of improperly using alcohol, then the, you know, when God says, Hey, we're not going to be gluttonous. And, and I don't, I don't know what God actually says, but when he prescribes to you, why not to drink alcohol? I think then it makes a lot more sense. And then you can have faith in what he's saying as the creator. And again, I know I'm, I'm probably butchering this. I'm just trying to give you my headspace on that. Um, a, a really good, and 
those are kind of heavier topics a really really good example for other like smaller trivial things that actually happened in my life and one of the main reasons that i really started reaching out and searching for other other reasons for of why to behave morally uh outside of religion so for those that i actually did go to church a lot i was in youth leadership program um went every wednesday every sunday and uh i again i believe in a lot of what was taught and i i think that it was it was really good for a lot of kids that were in it but one really impactful moment was when i want to say it was 2014 maybe it, no, I think it was it was earlier than that, maybe like 2010, because I was still in the panhandle when they uh, legalized gay marriage, or at least they were talking about it. Uh, they were talking about legalizing gay marriage, and nobody really ever gave us a reason for why it was bad. We knew it was bad because our parents said it was bad, and because we went to church and they were talking about how it was an abomination. Um, what is that, like Leviticus 18:22 or something like that? They they were talking about why it was bad in the Bible. Nobody ever really gave us <laughs> a reason as to why gay marriage was not good for society. And I'm not here to discuss that. I'm not here to give you the pros and cons of, of gay marriage. Um, I, I do think it's bad. I, I think that it kind of erodes the definition of marriage as we know it in a society without being religious. But um, I, I had to search really hard to find that. And what happened was we would go to school. And of course, you have these little political ba- debates because your parents are all political. Everybody's talking about politics. And you've got the high schoolers that are especially talking about politics. And you go to school and somebody says, well, I think it should be legal. And then you say, well, no, because in right here in the Bible, it says that you're not supposed to do it. And they go, okay, yeah, Amendment 1, freedom of religion. You know, that it's, it's that easy. And then you're like, well, damn it. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know what to do. Um, that was that was a really key point in in my life to where I was like, oh, yeah, I, I can't just argue based off of what um, the good book says, what what Christianity says. I can I can base my sense of morality off of that. But I need to find other reasons that make sense to other people as for why I believe the things I believe. And I, I don't know. It's it served me very well. Take it. Take abortion for example. There are people in the world that that cannot argue um, a pro life stance without reaching to the Bible and saying that you know God feels that everybody's precious. And then the left uses that as a club um, against people who are more traditional to say, well, you know, we're tired of these Christians trying to run our lives. And if we don't believe in the silly, but I'm not saying it's a silly book. They're saying it's a silly book. I think it's the most important book ever written. And I really do. Like, I'm not even lying. Um, they say, oh, we, we don't need to be governed by this silly book. We have freedom of religion. Okay. Well, then a lot of people lose that argument and it gives them, I think that's called a straw man where they put up a false argument of that people are arguing from religion when really what we're arguing from is societal norms and morality and, um, just being a good person, ethics. Um, and me, a lot of you have heard me. I, I can, I can argue a pro-life stance without ever touching the Bible. I can argue a complete pro-life stance without ever touching anything religious. And it makes people like you will win arguments like that, especially if it comes from, I mean, I can think of multiple reasons, uh, gay marriage, abortion are, are like the biggest two, uh, the gender stuff that they, that they've got going on now. Um, all of these things that are very anti-Christian, you can argue from a, a secular point of view and it allows you to, to, to not be immediately trumped by that, oh, well, freedom of religion. And if you notice, if I'm not, I know a lot of people aren't huge fans of Ben Shapiro. It's something that Ben Shapiro does extremely, extremely well. 
uh, he he does it very very well, and it makes him really hard to argue with, especially being an, an Orthodox Jew, because you know the first thing that the left wants to say is, well, we're we're not going to subscribe to your religious beliefs, and he says, okay, I, I haven't even touched the Bible yet. We haven't even gotten there. Like it, it has nothing to do with that. Um, I think you need to set your your kids up to be able to. Um, fight in a world, fight for their beliefs in a world that doesn't believe in exactly the things that they do. You, you need to set your kids up, uh, to, to be equipped, um, to have those arguments when they're confronted with non-religious, uh, rhetoric and non-religious things. I, I don't know if I butchered that or not. Um, and specifically to the, to the porn aspect, again, I think it, I, I think it really comes back to the fact that people don't, I don't think they fully believe, I don't think it's as effective of a belief in religion until they've had some suffering. And it's going to take them understanding the consequences of what porn really does to them and what God actually says about that. And then they're going to go, oh, that makes a lot of sense in the Bible now. Now that I've experienced consequences, that makes a lot of sense. It's, it's, it's the same thing as why when you've got a toddler, you can tell them not to touch the stove a thousand times. You can touch them. You can tell them not to touch the stove a, a thousand times and they're still going to do it. But if you tell them, hey, that's hot and it's really going to hurt, if you say just don't touch the stove, they're never going to know why they shouldn't touch the stove. And they're going to touch it and it's going to be hot. And they may, like, they have no idea of what the consequences might be. But if you tell them it's really hot, it's going to hurt a lot. And uh, yeah, good luck when you touch it. They might still touch the stove, but they're, they're imme- it's immediately going to go off in them like, oh, I was told about these consequences. And uh I was told about these consequences and now it immediately quicks. And again, if, if you know the Bible a little bit better than I do, and you can articulate that in a religious view of, Hey, here are the actual consequences other, other than when you die, you're going to go to hell. You know, I I don't know, but if you repent, then you can, like I said, I don't know that it's hard to make it make a lot of sense in the Bible to a kid, or at least it was for me. And so that's why for me, until I learn a different way, my kids are going to get, you know, maybe if I clean my act up and we start going to church, they'll get the religious reasons and reasons outside of religion for, for why they need to behave in a certain way and what the consequences of not doing that are going to be. So I hope that somewhat answered your question. I'm, I'm sorry if it didn't, like I said, obviously you can tell that I'm not super good at, at uh, understanding Christianity, but I do think that, uh, I think that I'm, I'm somewhat close to right, and I would like to get somebody's opinion on that. I may try to reach out to maybe a prominent pastor here in Amarillo or something just to try to get uh, some different views on the podcast and get maybe a little bit better answer for that for y'all. And, and I, I do want to add that some of the best pastors that um, I ever saw when we were going to church and some of the, the best ones that I knew... Um, they really did come from that fallen world and they did believe that, Hey, that they, they, they taught very practically. They gave you the real world circumstances, the real world consequences and added that up with, with, (coughs) with religious framing behind that and gave you reasons as to why you should believe there is a God because of all these real world things happening. And I think that's the better way to go. And, and again, hopefully, um, I'll articulate that better in the future when we get some more people on. But I really appreciate the question. Um, I know who that came from, and maybe maybe you can come in on you can come on and discuss it with me. So um, I appreciate that. That's going to be the end of our Q and A. Uh, next is going to be just a little uh, a little idea that I actually got from my buddy Tanner. 
His name is Tanner Nail, and uh, first of all, thank you because this is this is really good stuff. And you you kind of gave me the quote, and now I'm going to expand on it. But basically, I sent out a Snapchat of saying, "Hey, I haven't made a lot of progress in the past few months with my weight and my physique and my fitness, but." I'm going to make sure that I finish the year strong and uh, get some progress before the end of the year. I'm not going to let the holidays ruin what I'm trying to do. And uh, he sent back, he said, you know, I, I like that. He said, obviously, there's a lot of room for improvement, but I like leaving no room for resolutions. And that really hit me. I, I thought that was pretty profound. Uh, no room for resolutions. He said, there's always room for improvement, but no room for resolutions. And uh, I really want to kind of preach that, especially as the preach, uh, you know, I, I really want to kind of convey that uh, as we're getting into January, when you see a lot of people that make their New Year's resolutions. And I'm not, first of all, I'm not going to say that that's bad. If you decide that you want to do something in, in the new year, and this is the time that you're going to start doing it, do it. Um yeah, I, I'm not going to down talk improvement. If you've got a really good New Year's resolution, I'm going to tell you to go ahead and do that. But a lot of people don't follow through with them. And the idea of leaving no room for resolutions is you've got uh, what is today? It's the 20th. Um, I don't even know how long. What is it? 30 days or something like that for you've got a month and about what? 10 days, 10 or 11 days to change your circumstances before January even hits. And you can do a ton in a month and 10 days. You can do a ton for your life in a month and 10 days. Let me give you an example. If you go and you work out every single day for a month and 10 days, you will absolutely change your work ethic. Now, some people think it takes longer than that. And I do too. I think that, you know, it's going to take five, six months of you really doing that to really change your attitude, but you can make a ton of progress in a month and 10 days towards building a better version of you. And that was kind of the idea is like, Hey, make sure that you're putting enough effort into your life, uh, on the daily basis that you have no room for these, these huge resolutions. Um, you know, why, why January? I think that's another good question is why January 1st? What really changes? Nothing. Nothing changes other than the number of the year, uh, the number of the day, the, 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 the month. That's the only thing that changes. Your circumstances don't change. It's not like you're going to have a huge break in, in January where you're going to be able to do all of these things. You're not. So start now. <laughs> start now. Get that month of 10 days. Stop being the way you are for a month and 10 days and change what you want to change now and make sure when it, it comes time for those resolutions to hit and everybody's going to the gym and all that stuff, you have no room for that. You don't have any room for that because you're already grinding. You have room for improvement, obviously, but you have no room for these huge resolutions because you're already doing the things that you need to do to get better. I, I just, I really liked that. And, uh, it, it really kind of spoke to me, um, what he said of, of having no room for resolutions. I've never been a huge new year's resolution guy. I think, uh, I think actually last January, uh, we tried to do the 30 days sober and I had no real reasoning behind it. Uh, just, to try to do it. And I don't know that we got there. Uh, it was me and a buddy that tried to do it and it was just silly. It, it took, it was on a Thursday in February that I really decided that, Hey, look, I'm tired of wasting my time here and not being the best version of myself. And so that's when that resolution really kicked off. And if you're already in that spot, don't wait until January to make that happen. If you're in that spot, nothing's going to change between now and then. So go ahead and do it. And I don't care about the holidays. I don't care if you need to diet and Thanksgiving is going to be around the corner. That is something that really, really, 
really, really impeded my fitness for a long time and my diet for a long time was I was like, oh, let me get past Thanksgiving. Let me get past the 4th of July. Let me get past my birthday. I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you that there's always going to be something to get past. There's always going to be something that you say, oh, yeah, well, that's really going to tank my diet. And, uh, and you know, I'm just going to wait until after that to start. That's silly. That's, that's completely silly. Get the three days of your diet in. I'm not telling you to not eat any Thanksgiving food if you've been looking forward to it all year, <laughs> but get the four days of your diet dialed in. Have it, you know, have your Thanksgiving meal, and then immediately after that, get back on it. Start now. Start now. Don't wait till after Thanksgiving because then after Thanksgiving, you're not going to have any momentum. You just completely ruined whatever diet you did have with this huge meal because you didn't you didn't start anything. You already had your shitty diet and you went into a really shitty meal. You have absolutely no momentum and Christmas is only a month away. So you're going to get that slow rolling start to where you're you're not fully started. You're going to forget to meal prep or you're not going to meal prep correctly and it's going to mess it up and then you're going to end up having to eat shit again. And then next thing you know, it's only 15 days to Christmas and oh, I might as well wait until uh, Christmas is over and then after Christmas I'll start. Well, and then your New Year's party, you had a, you had a bunch to drink at the New Year's party and drank a lot of calories and oh, well, that kind of sucks. And then, you know, midway through January, you're finally going to get rolling and uh, oh, well, Valentine's Day is coming and I really wanted to take her out for dinner. And so maybe I'll just start after that. Or we've got a trip planned and uh, we're going to trip in January that, you know, it's going to be really hard to meal prep for that. So I'll start after that. Just stop, stop. <laughs> do it now. Do it now. Have no room for resolutions. Do the things that you want to do now. Start them now. So that's all I've got. Thanks again to uh, Tanner Nail for that uh, the inspiration for for that little uh, monologue, I guess. Um, guys, I really appreciate your support. Once again, the book club that we've got coming up, please try to try to do that. Again, it's going to be super good for y'all. Uh, I think I, I got a lot out of the book. Let me let me say that um, I got a lot out of the book. I hope that y'all get a lot out of the book. And I hope that me kind of diving deeper into that, um, reading it a second time will really, really help uh, the time you spent be a little bit more effective. And especially Sam's going to come on. Uh, I hope that he's going to be rereading the book with us as well. Um, Sam's going to come on. He's the one that showed me the book. He's the one that read it first. And so I think this will be even like his third time reading it or something. Um, I hope that it just really maximizes what you get out of that because I do think that the written word is extremely effective in, in allowing us to to make broader realizations about the smaller things that have gone on in our life. I used to not read very much at all. I read a lot when I was in like junior high. I mean, I read a ton. I, you know, if you come from a small school or maybe even the bigger schools, it it was always a race to see who could get to like the next reading level the fastest. You know, we were all in fourth grade and we're like, we're reading at a ninth grade level. Well, really the ninth grade level wasn't that great. <laughs> and so like I used to read a lot and, and did a lot of that in junior high, kind of quit and uh, finally got back into it with 75 hard to where I could train my focus to, to sit down and read something. Um, and it got huge benefits out of it. Huge benefits, not only the stuff I was reading, but the discipline to actually sit down and do something that I didn't think I wanted to do. It's a huge, it's a, it's an excellent way to get uncomfortable without being physically uncomfortable. So again, I, I think you should be physically uncomfortable every single day. But if you're a person and you're listening to this and you say, well, I like my podcasts. I like watching movies. I don't like reading at all. Okay. Well, you're comfortable doing those things. This is an excellent way to get uncomfortable um, sitting on your couch. Uh, you know, it's, it's a really hard, it's really hard to get uncomfortable sitting on the couch, but for people that really don't like to read, it's a good way to do it and force yourself to read those pages and to try to get something out of it. So 
Um, guys, I really hope that that y'all participate in that and uh, and and get something out of it. So that's all I've got, and I really appreciate y'all listening. Uh, once again, let me know about your uh, the uh, people that you want to have on the podcast, and that's everything, guys. Thanks.